Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. I'm excited. This is a good chapter. Uh, Maybe we'll jump into chapter 4 as well. I think we will, but I'm excited. So Luke chapter 3, we're just going to jump right into it because I don't have any stories or anything to tell you guys. Sorry. (laughs) Let's just start reading. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Really, here's the the preaching of John in verses 1 through 6. And notice when John was preaching, that's what it it gives us all the details right here in verse 1. It says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod being tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Eturia, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, I practice all these, now it's not coming out, man, of Abilene, Abilene, Abilene. Um, Now, let's just rewind a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning here. Uh, Tiberius Caesar, he's going to give us a list of some uh, people in history at this moment. Uh, Tiberius Caesar was the second emperor emperor of Rome, and he was given the title officially in 14 AD. So let's do the math. So this would mean John would be preaching here because it says now in the 15th year of the reign. So in other words, it would put him about 29 AD that John the Baptist here is is preaching. Uh, but uh, it says right here, August Augustus Caesar was reigning as well, by the way, at this time in history, we know. Um, And that was in 11 AD, which John would be put, if you do the math, at 26 AD. So you got 26 AD and you got 29 AD. So whatever one you choose there. But around that time, uh, that's when uh, John the Baptist began to preach at this time, um, right here in verse 1. And then you got Pontius Pilate. Uh, who was, by the way, a lot of people are like, oh no, Pontius Pilate, yeah, we know he was in history, but it says right here that he was the governor of Judea. So they they deny that. They're like, nowhere in history do we see that. And then in the 1961, in Caesarea on the sea by Dr. Uh, Frava doing archaeology, it was confirmed on a plaque which read, uh, you know, uh, speaking of the, that Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, it says Pontius Pilate, perfect of Judea. So, boom, there you go. And that, that just shut down all the critics and the skeptics and, and uh, archaeology uncovered, you know, what the Bible already said. And so, if you're like me, I'm just, I'm simple. I just, I'll take, I read the word, I'm like, okay, that's what it was. And for other people, they need the proof and Somehow God just, you know, shows grace on them. And he's like, okay, here's some archaeology for you. And, you know, digs it up for you. And and there's the proof there. But we walk by faith, right? Not by sight. So that's just kind of an extra given for us here. But it also says Herod right here. Notice Herod, he's mentioned in verse 1 as well. He was a tetriarch or ruler of the Galilee region. And Herod Antipas... Uh, the son of Herod the Great, that's who it, he is right here. Um, Philip is the other guy mentioned right here in verse 1. Uh, he was Herod's brother, uh, the ruler of the region of the east of the Jordan. And he's the half-brother of Antipas as well. And then you got Lysanias. Uh, he's the ruler over the northern region of Syria around uh, the Damascus area. Um, so very interesting stuff there. Uh, look at verse two. It says, well, Annas and, and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. No, notice where John preached. Notice it, it says right here in the wilderness. And then look at verse three. It says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So this region around the Jordan uh, was and is barren today. It's a desolate place kind of area. Interesting that God would use 
John, the last prophet, one of the, the greatest prophets of all time, you think that God would put this prophet in a prime location. Instead, he puts him out here in this desolate desert. Reminds me of Arizona, by the way. <laughs> you see the tumbleweeds, too. And, and he's out here. But it just shows the, the, uh, the dryness, if you will, of the state of Israel at that time. And, and you know, they were fruitless. And, and, uh, it reminds me of us today as the church uh, that we ought to be bearing fruit for the Lord, right? John 15, and I think it's a daily relationship with the Lord as we pick up our cross, as we follow him daily, as we get in the word of God, we become fruitful, not because of what we are doing, but rather because of what he's doing in and out through us, right? And it's because of that relationship that we have with him. But if we decide... You know, I'm not going to grow according to the word. I'm going to grow according to the self-help tape or YouTube video or, right? Then then we're going to become dry and we're going to be the same thing as the state of Israel here. But we got to allow the Lord to be fruitful in our lives. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I want to be able to be planted by uh, the rivers of water. Amen? Where we could just grow strong. If you guys have seen trees that are planted by no water and, and they're all dry, those are the ones you could literally easily just walk up and you can tip it over. You can, you can move it, right? But if they're planted by the, the rivers, you're, it's moving you, right? Like, oh, sorry, I'm out of here. They, they're strong and they're, they're, their root system is very, very deep. And that's my prayer. I want to be... I want to be rooted and grounded in the word of God so, so much that you guys only see this, you know, but the Lord sees this. That's my prayer. I want to be like a ninja. You guys don't see anything behind the scenes, and I want, I want the Lord to be glorified, right? And that should be your heart as well, that we don't be out in the, in the spotlight, if you will, um, but rather we be pleasing to the Lord in our prayer closets, Amen. Amen. So now what, what did John preach, by the way, right? Let's look, look at verse 3 again. It says right here uh, that he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This word repentance, uh, it means to make a U-turn, right? To go the other way. Uh, and it carries the idea really of a, a change of mind. And when we repent, we change our mind as to where we're going and what we're, what we're doing, really, right? Our lifestyle. And God, in turn, uses your change of mind, and he changes your hearts. And when your heart's changed, your actions will follow. Your actions will change as well. Uh, but it's the work of God in your heart that changes the heart. Uh, but we got to allow the Lord to do that. See, we shut him off up here, and we can't do that. We need to stay in prayer uh, for each other. I think, if anything, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare out here. And and uh, we need to be on guard for each other as well, not just for ourselves, right, rooted and grounded, uh, but also praying for those around us, the body uh, of believers. On 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, worldly sorrow, it's, it's what? It's being sorry that you've been caught, right? I'm so sorry I got caught. <laughs> but godly sorrow is more of that sorrow that you, 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 you fess up before you get caught. You say, you know what? I know you don't know this, but that was me. I did that. And I totally, I apologize. I'm sorry. You know, I'll, I'll return whatever it is, whatever it may be, right? But that's more so what godly sorrow is. In Romans 2, verse 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You see, only God's goodness, only his love, only God and in his uh, long-suffering for us, could really lead us to repentance. Now, those that despise his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, they can't receive this repentance. There's the world that is so prideful, and, and they're so caught up, their heart is like a stone, they, they, they can't repent. They can say they're sorry, right? Because that's what worldly sorrow is. They can say they're sorry, but inwardly, within their hearts, 
They're still correct. They're still right. They're still in charge. They're still the ones in authority. But us as believers, the church, we, ha- we ought to be broken, right? And, and, and hu- humility ought to be spewing out. And, and be, we ought to be in tears, right? <laughs> and that's what repentance is. We're turning from our ways. But notice in verses 4 through 6, um, John He begins to quote scripture here. Um, It says in verse 4, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, and I love that, whenever you can give an answer by saying, well, the Bible says, those are the best words in the world. Um, So I'm loving this. But it says, in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path, Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, back in the day when the king would decide to come to a town or an area, you know, they would, they would get the message and, and say, hey, the king's coming on this day, and so get ready, get prepared for the king. And as they, you know, clean up all their garbage, all the hills, right, let's, let's level that out. When he's coming on that wagon, and you don't want any potholes, right? So let's fill in that too. And, and they would make this, this, the, the road straight for the king and, because he's coming. They want to be pleasing to him. And so too, John the Baptist is saying the same thing to the people of the day and saying, hey, make his path straight. The king's coming. Prepare the way. Here he comes. And and so the, the people were like these roads. They needed to be straightened up as well, in, in a sense. And people today, as well, need to repent of their ways. We need, to, we need to choose to continue to be straightened up by the word of God. Allow the word to have such an impact on your life that it begins to change your heart. It changes your thought process. It changes your lifestyle, right? You used to do this for all those years, and no one's going to change me. I don't think so, right? And then the word comes in, and now you're like, I don't want to go there anymore. They just, I can't do that. There's a heaviness about it, right? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and praise the Lord for that. But let's look at the baptism of John. Look, look in verses 7 through 18. Um, not only did John preach repentance, he also baptized. And notice salvation always happens, by the way, before being baptized. Uh, being baptized is always a result of salvation, I should say. And in, in an out, it's an outward manifestation of an inward change, right, of what Jesus has done by faith in your life, right? That you chose to follow Jesus. And it, it doesn't save us, by the way. If you just choose to get baptized, hey, are you saved? Are you a believer? Yeah, I got baptized. What? I didn't, what? Why did you say that? <laughs> I don't, if you talk to people like that, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to church. Wait, what? <laughs> That's not what I said. Are, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? And, and they don't get the no part, right? The, the no, you can actually know God. And, and uh, they think by doing these works, you can get saved, but that's not the case. But going down in the water is like, it's like the, it's, it, it, the old man is dying, right? And then when you come up out of the water, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? The old has been passed away, and it's symbolic, if you will. It's a picture of our walk with Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. So we get baptized strictly out of obedience because the bible says so that's why we do it it's a it's showing publicly to everybody else hey i'm living for the lord family friends co-workers and whatnot right this is this is me showing you what i'm doing my decision to follow jesus and they're out with the old and with the new right that's the idea but notice the statements to the people look look at verse seven It says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brought of vipers, (laughs) who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Man, he is intense. I like this guy. John is talking to, uh, by the way, if you look at the other uh, scripture here, he's talking to the religious leaders, right? He he looks at them straight in the eye, brought of vipers. (laughs) 
but he's intense. And, and, and in verse 8, notice in verse, I'm glad there's a verse 8. I'm glad he didn't just stop right there, right? Woo! Um, some preachers do that. They just name call. And then it's like, what? That's it? You're, that's all? You're just going to call him a name? You know, where's the re- restoration? Where's the scripture? But he says in verse 8, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So he tells them not to think that they're going to go to heaven based on who they know. He's like, I don't care who your father's father, father, father is, right? It's about knowing Jesus is really the idea. And notice in verse 9, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John condemns these uh, religious leaders sharply, right? He's straight to their face since they thought that they were going to go to heaven based on uh, who they were and their position because of, they were of Abraham, basically. But John tells them, unless you repent of your ways, you're like the tree that is really no good for anything but to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And a lot of people need to be reminded today that it's not by works, right? It's, by, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. It's only through him and a relationship with him. It's not about being religious, right? It's not about holding to these laws and being more moral than others and being more obedient than others and trying to one-up the next person. It's not about that. When you realize the the what Jesus has for us as believers he loves us all the same wait Lord so I've been doing all this to be for you and and here's that guy who's a sinner (laughs) and you love him just as much as you love me yeah right that when you read scripture it really changes your mindset because now you begin to live for the Lord not based on others and their performance it's out of love you desire to follow him, not based religion is, I'm, I'm getting somewhere and this is me performing. But now it's just, Lord, I just love you and I want to do this onto you. I want to give onto you. I want to sacrifice for you. It's going to hurt me, but I know it's going to bless you. And it's, it's worth it if that's the case. And that's what love does. But let's, let's look at the questions of the people here in verse 10. They begin to ask questions. It says, so... The people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Right? That's a good question. Well, the first thing to do is, well, look at verse 11. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, so immediately he begins to talk about uh, generosity. He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So, the first thing to do here is being generous, right? If the Lord is really coming to your heart, if you truly have repented, there ought to be fruit bearing in your life that it is just, you know, everybody can see. And notice this is something that others can see in your life as well. And so if you have truly repented of your ways, one characteristic about you is you're going to be thinking about others, right? Oh, you need a tunic. I got two. Here, buddy, here you go, right? Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 says, Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. You see, God has blessed us with so much. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, look at us in America. We got so much, guys. We got a roof over our head. We got food more than a lot of other people have. And why do we have so much of this stuff that we got? Well, guess what? It's so that you can give it all away. No amens there, huh? <laughs> Why, uh, guys? But Second uh, Corinthians 9-11, I know 9-11 because that's like the panic button for me. Ah, that's what it basically is talking about, right? To give it all away. Um, but uh, let's, let's look at the second thing here that's involved, and, and, and it's not being greedy. Uh, notice in verse 12 and 13, it says in verse 12, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And then he said to them, collect no more 
than what is appointed for you. So don't rip people off, basically, right? Because they would uh, not only take the tax for Rome, but they would take extra for their own income to take home. And, and so he says, hey, just take, take what you're supposed to be taking and stop taking more than that, right? Do your job, basically. And, and uh, what a good reminder for us, right? Just, you know, we ought to be faithful to the authorities as well, you know, to the government. I think it's still about tax time, right? If you guys immediately got your, your forms and you probably already did it, but some of you, if you haven't, you ought to be obedient and just put down what you deserve, right? Don't try to take more than you deserve as well. Otherwise, you're like these tax collectors that John the Baptist is rebuking here. Um, but look at the third thing that's involved here. If they really repent, if they really want to come to the Lord, look at verse 14. It involves being gentle, being gentle. Look at verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do, right? They're the big guys. So he said to them, do not imitate, oh, I'm sorry, intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be, be content with your wages. So clearly these Roman soldiers were just, you know, they, they just got rebuked to their face, by the way, by John the Baptist, right? He's straight out in their face. They're doing the whole, what do we do, huh? Trying to intimidate them. And he's like, bring it on. <laughs> I'm going to give you the word. I don't care who you are. I don't care your intimidation. I don't care how buff you are, Mr. Soldier. Right? He's going to give the word no matter what. And uh, they were the tough guys. And yet John the Baptist says the opposite. Why don't you try being gentle? Right? Why don't you be fair and, and meek in a sense right here? Um, very interesting. But let's look at the expectations of the people here notice in verse 15 it says now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John whether he was the Christ or not you see they were listening to John the Baptist they weren't reasoning among themselves how to stone him and, and kill him they were convicted at the everything he was saying was truth it, it cut to the heart and they weren't anything negative they were if anything everything positive saying i think this guy's the messiah right because the angel ended up coming and, and talking to the parents and now here he is grown up and we all know about what happened could he be the messiah and so they were expecting the messiah right and john clearly tells them you know that, that he's not the messiah but and they understood because they were expecting the messiah they understood daniel chapter 9 verse 25 and doing the math, and Pastor Dwight's done a great job. If you guys don't know, you guys can get the CD, DVD. Um, but they, they, uh, the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem, right? And in March 14th, 445 BC, um, the, or 483 years from March 14th, 483 or 45, um, later, the Messiah would come on the scene. And this is that time. This is the time they're all talking. Hey, have you read Daniel? Yeah, I read Daniel. Do you know the Messiah is coming? Right? And they are expecting the Messiah. So they're like, this is the only, this is the only guy we could see right now who could probably be him. And so clearly during this time, there was a great expectation. But notice in verse 16, it says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. We'll talk about the humility in John the Baptist. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John answers them saying he's not the Messiah, right? And John baptized with water. Um, the issue was repentance and why he did it with water. And Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. And the element instead of water is the Holy Spirit. And so the issue is really uh, power. Uh, in, in according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power, and the purpose of this power, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, is to be witnesses. That's the idea that God has given you power as the church, so that you can go forth in 
his power, but using the gifts as well. Um, so in scripture, we're never baptized by or in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're always baptized in scripture with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us power for the purpose of really being a witness of him. And it's also for the empowerment of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through uh, no, not four, verses six through eight, uh, there's the gifts of the Spirit are very, very clear throughout Scripture. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us in these gifts as well, uh, also to be a witness to others, right? So there's not a gift that is selfish, that is just to yourself. Get away, it's mine, right? All the gifts are to be used to bless uh, those around you as well, to be a witness to Christ and of Christ, well, Jesus also would baptize with fire, uh, which is very interesting. Fire uh, meaning judgments. Um, and, and it's the same word, by the way, in verse 9. If the trees are no good, they're cut down and they're thrown into the fire. Same word right there. Um, let's look at verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire verse 18 and with many other exhortations he preached to the people so the threshing floor is where they separate the wheat from the chaff and of course this uh the chaff would be thrown into the fire because it's good for nothing, right? It's just, it blows away in the wind and, and they gather it and then they just burn it. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, really is for believers. Um, speaking of the Holy Spirit and the, the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit, um, the bapti baptism of fire seems to be in context uh, of fire to be for really unbelievers, if you get the idea here, because it's used as judgment. So for the believer, we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. For the unbeliever, is with fire, in a sense of judgment, right? Um, so very interesting. Let's look at the imprisonment of John right here. In verses 19 and 20, in verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, uh, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So John got in prison for rebuking Herod. Re rebuke, this word rebuke is interesting. It's mentioned 17 times in the New Testament, and it carries the idea of bringing to light one's faults or exposing their sins. And there are two sins that are given to us right here uh, that John the Baptist rebuked King Herod, or, or Herod the Great here, um, in. And the first was sexual sin. Notice in verse 19, it says, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, uh, and all the evil. But notice Herod Antipas, he seduced his wife, um, uh, his wife, uh, his, I'm sorry, uh, his brother's wife, Herodias, and in history, you can look it up, but I'll, I'll let you study. It's pretty disgusting. The more you talk about it, I'm like, blah. <laughs> but he divorced his wife basically for his niece. It's pretty disgusting, right? Um, but John spoke out against that relationship and said, that's an abomination. That's disgusting. That is a sin, and you're living in sin. You need to repent of that, basically. And guys, sexual sin, understand it not only destroys you, but it destroys those around you. I know many people who are broken because one person decided to be very selfish. They've decided to, to take on the pleasures of the world now, right? And they thought, no, this isn't going to harm anybody. But that little sin led to the next sin. It led to the next, oh, that, that person's smiling at me. Oh, no one's going to find out about this. And sure enough, be sure your sin will find you out, right? It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come, and it will find you. And so we ought to be very, very cautious in this area. Pastors, I've seen a lot of pastors um, fall in this area. Uh, and when they fall, 
it's a tragic, right? A tragedy, really, where the church is just broken. And, uh, and we need to pray if you guys, um, we need to pray for our leadership. We need to pray for, uh, because the enemy is out there, right? And he wants to bring down uh, those who are teaching, those who are giving the word of God. He wants to tear them apart. Pray for me. Right? Pray for Pastor Dwight. Pray for all the leadership that, that we would serve the Lord and that we would abandon ship, if you will, when this area comes up. That we would flee like Joseph, right? And take our feet and start running. And uh, 1 Corinthians six eighteen, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Guys, in Revelation, uh, what is it, 22, those that didn't make it were those who were caught up in sexual immorality. Those who decided to go after their own lust of the flesh. Your flesh craves it. It's a desire God allows but it's to be used properly, right? In marriage, between one man and one wife. Amen, church? Amen. All right. I think I beat you guys up a little bit there. For that. Well, we could just go on. But as believers, you know, we're called to a higher standard. We're, we're called to be holy. That, that means set apart, right? And we're to be holy in the eyes of the Lord for every good work. And uh, may we be pleasing to the Lord. Well, the second sin... Uh, that John exposed here was really general sin. Notice, notice in verse 19, uh, it says, and for all the evils which Herod had done. So John, he didn't back down. I mean, here's Herod who has authority to take John's life or to give John his life, right? And John didn't care. He counted the cost. He realized, I'm gonna, I'd rather serve God and honor God rather than honoring man. And this man, I don't care what position he's in, when it becomes the government speaking over the church, uh-uh, that's when the church rises up. That's when we say, I don't think so, government. You got your place, we got our place, right? And, and even the government even says the Second Amendment. You guys can look it up. But anyways, um, look at Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And I don't know about you guys, but I would rather be safe in judgment, right? In, in, in the eyes of God, before, when I stand before the Lord, did I stand in fear more so in, of man? Or <laughs> I'd be fearful of God. I'd be fearful in his sight. I'd rather be pleasing in his sight uh, that I would be able to stand and be safe in his sight. So let's go on. Let's see this next uh passage here. Let's see the baptism of Jesus. It's really in verses 21 through 23. Um, the, the reason for the baptism is right here in verse 21. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. So Jesus allowed himself to be baptized. Why? Well, I think uh, well, a couple of reasons. I think to identify with people. John baptized for the sake of repentance, but Jesus had nothing to repent of, right? Because, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin, right? He didn't know sin. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 5, um, that, and in him there is no sin, so he was sinless. He had no sin. And we can now identify with the Lord since he humbled himself, became a man, and, and he came down to our level. And I think that's why Hebrews uh, talks about in chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, it says. So he was able to, to go through what we did, but he never fell for and, and followed through with the lust of the, the world, the flesh, and the, the enemy there. But Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he did it really to illustrate what was going to happen in his life, that he was going to die 
and he was going to rise again, right? The death and the resurrection, the picture of baptism, uh, submersion, right? Going in. Now, really, honestly, uh, we do baptisms here, and we, we, if people want to be splashed in the face, by all means. <laughs> if they want to be dunked half the way, we, we do that. But the idea is very clear. And I think uh, the idea is they, they understand that's with water, right? That you're going down, it's your old self and a new self, and it's public, right? Um, and what you're doing, your walk with the Lord. But Peter commands all believers, by the way, to be baptized uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was a command, really. That wasn't a, a you know, here's an option for you. That was a command. You want to be saved? Here you go. Colossians 2.12 even talks about buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So clear picture of what baptism is, right? Dead, alive. Um, I think Jesus understood at 12 years old, he knew what to do um, in ministry and for ministry. He, he knew everything, but he waited. Uh, but he held back really 18 years, if you do the math, at age 30, that's when he began uh, in verse, uh, where is it, in verse 23, we understand at age 30, he began to, uh, the ministry really began right when he got baptized, um, his public ministry, if you will. Um, but he waited until he got baptized for this. And this is interesting and why he did that. But I, I love how Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, including being baptized. And in Matthew chapter 3, um, in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus, and understand this part, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all, all righteousness then John the Baptist allowed him, right? He, he got baptized. So this is a, the parallel account. But Jesus doing this really, he really validated that John, uh, John's baptism was really righteous, right? If John was not in the will of God and not doing what was supposed to be, you know, pleasing in God's sight, Jesus would have went there to rebuke him. But instead, Jesus goes and validates really the ministry of what John the Baptist is doing there by uh, uh, telling people to repent of their sins for the re right, be baptized for the remission of your sins by water. So let's let's see the request of the baptism. In verse twenty one, it says, "And while he prayed, notice in the middle there, and while he prayed, so Jesus was putting in." Some unknown prayer request here. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I love how Jesus is our example of prayer. And, and we need to stop and pray during the day, right? In order to make it through the day, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord throughout the day. Um, if you guys can get time alone, you got a break time, just pray, right? You're driving, just pray. Talk to the Lord. Leave your eyes open, by the way. <laughs> but, but seek the Lord and continue to pray throughout the day, but get alone time throughout the day as well. Um, we need that very, very much. First um, Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Never. And how much should I pray? Never. <laughs> Keep on going. Never, there's never an ending point, if you will. Never cease praying. Um, but let's see the request. Uh, uh, so that's, he's praying without ceasing, right? Um, let's look at the result of the baptism. Notice in verse 21, it says, The heaven was open. Whoa! The heavens were open really only a few times in the Bible that I could, I could in my brain, if there's more, let me know. But Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, uh, when Ezekiel and the captives were brought into uh, Babylon, the heavens opened. Push. And when Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when he was about to get stoned to death, he looked up and he saw uh, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And uh, Paul, by the way, 
was caught up into the third heaven and uh, in second corinthians chapter 12 and so it's just interesting in the scripture why would it even tell us that the heavens opened right and 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 they knew that was heaven it's very interesting throughout scripture of what we have but god all that to say he hears our prayer and he sees our prayer he understands our hearts he answers you in his own timing right but um that's the thing it's the the thing is not only does he answer sometimes he doesn't answer maybe all the time he doesn't answer and the only reason that would be is if you're in sin if you're in sin and you're trying to talk to God about this and that and this and that but you're in sin he's not listening to one thing until you get your heart right with him you fall on your knees you fall on your face and you begin to weep and wail if you can if, if that right over your sin understanding that that is breaking your relationship with the Lord right begin to cry out to the Lord and confess your sins onto him and he'll forgive you um, but let's notice let's notice the Holy Spirit he descended in bodily form like like a dove notice in verse 22 here and and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like notice the word like circle the word like because people always on the movies it's an actual dove that fall it lands on their shoulder and it's like wait wait that's not what the Bible says right but it, it bodily form like a dove upon that's the epi right here him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased now notice the Holy Spirit is a gentleman by the way he's not gonna make you bark like a dog if he comes upon you he's not gonna make you fall and convulse and 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 start shaking all over the place he's not gonna make you cry or laugh uncontrollably right there's there's order with the Lord and the Lord and all that he does is in order and done decently and you'll always be in control by the way of your own body when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be in control first Corinthians chapter 14 um, and the Holy Spirit by the way came upon Jesus really to fulfill Old Testament prophecy uh, in Isaiah 61 verse 1 the spirit of the lord god is upon me that was prophecy of what was to be what was to come of the messiah right here and and you can go on reading but uh, jesus even quotes this in luke chapter 4 verse 18 when he's in the synagogue that day it was fulfilled in their hearing he says and we'll see that in chapter 4 but this all shows us that Jesus is the son of God and by the way turn to your right to John chapter 1 John chapter 1 look at verse 32 John chapter 1 verse 32 it says and John bore witness saying in John chapter 1 verse 32 and John bore witness saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove right says the word like right there as well and he remained upon him and I did not know him but he who sent me to be uh, to baptize with water said to me upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God so you and me guys the Holy Spirit not only came upon him but also can come upon you and me if we ask I mean our Heavenly Father will he give you a scorpion <laughs> if you ask for bread or he gives you he, everything that he gives is good it's not evil so you can ask knowing you won't be terrified in response wow what is that right um, and uh, it, it's it's a beautiful thing what he gives us and he will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask that uh, that by the way it's a requirement because you can't even be pleasing to the Lord unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit so catch that right you you want you want to be pleasing in the Lord's sight you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily um, in order to be pleasing in his sight so let's go on here um, the father speaks right here in verse 22 at the in the middle of go back to Luke chapter 3 in verse 22 
the father says, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. So he will speak again, by the way, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, but the father is pleased with Jesus and everything he does is pleasing to the Lord. And this, that's why we need to walk with him daily, right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether presence or absence, be well pleasing to him. That's our heart. That's our goal. That's our, right? That's our heart's cry is just to be pleasing to him. And how do we do that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not us, but it's us allowing him to have his will in our life. Um, but notice we see the three in one here, the Godhead, right? The God, the Father spoke from heaven. God, the Son, was being baptized. And God, the Holy Spirit, came down like a dove. Very interesting. Um, reminds me of 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, that says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. We know in John 1, 1, that Jesus is the Word, right? John 1, 14, he became, the Word became flesh. So speaking of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Very interesting. But now let's, let's jump into the genealogy of Jesus. This is in verses 23 all the way to uh, verse 38. Uh, most believe, by the way, this is the genealogy of Mary. Uh, and, and since it really mentions Nathan, let, in fact, go to verse 31. It says... In verse 31, the son of Mela, the son of Menon, the son of Methatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. But it mentions Nathan, uh, which is interesting, even though in verse 23, look at, look at verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. And then our... our uh, the way we put our chapters and verses, we didn't break this up right here, um, but it, it, it makes it seem as if, you know, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, uh, and then it goes on, um, but it should be broken up here because most believe this is Mary's genealogy, and even though in verse 23 it says Joseph, the son of Heli, but Joseph was of the son through Solomon, and remember through Solomon, we talked about that already, I think in chapter one of Luke, but uh, the, there was Solomon, you know, came through the kings, the kingly line, if you will, and there was a curse pronounced and whatnot. But Nathan was David's son, really through the, the bloodline of which Mary comes from. And I encourage you guys, study on your own the genealogy, study these names, uh, point it out, look at the other genealogies and, and just say, okay, why is this one here in Luke? Uh, and, and the other ones are a little different here. And understand that the blood curse came through Solomon. And that's the key for you when you study it, that you'll understand a little more. For the sake of time, I don't want to, you know, go on and on and on. But, um, it's interesting, uh, and it didn't come through Nathan. Uh, in verse 38, actually, look at verse 38. Um, it says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So it goes from Jesus, uh, really all the way to Adam, which at the very end, it says the son of God. And so clearly we understand in Galatians, Jesus is uh, the second Adam, if you will, right? Adam through the flesh, and then Jesus, if you want to be born again, you're coming into a newness with him. He is the son of God, uh, but it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing, guys. The study that I was doing on this, and I was like, how am I going to teach all of this? It's a whole other study. And so for the sake of time, I want to encourage you to take it back to your own study and, and look it up. But let's look at the temptation of Jesus, and we'll end with this part. Um, I really wanted to throw this in there because of the work of the Holy Spirit here. But notice in verse 1, uh, the... Being, Jesus is being tempted, right? And, and it, but before that, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice then Jesus being filled 
with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, we just seen in chapter 3, verse 22, that the Holy Spirit came upon the epi, right, uh, Jesus. And, but here, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember, Luke is writing to the Greeks, by the way, um, speaking about Jesus's humanity. So Luke is pointing out these specifics for us, and you and I, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And it's often called, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit or being overflowed by the Holy Spirit. Um, very interesting. We can baptize, we could be baptized at salvation. Uh, and we, we mostly see that in scripture, by the way. At the moment of salvation, uh, there's a lot of people that are baptized by the Holy Spirit. At that very moment, they receive that filling, if you will, to overflow. Uh, but in Acts chapter 10, we see uh, the household of Cornelius. Uh, it's obvious that, you know, salvation happened and then the filling of the Holy Spirit or it can happen subsequent to salvation, as seen in Acts chapter 19. You see the 12 men of Ephesus, and they were disciples. They were baptized by John the Baptist for the, for the remission of their sins, right? Um, and, and then you guys can read on, but they, they receive the Holy Spirit at that moment and are baptized, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. So very interesting stuff. As believers, this is a requirement, by the way. Again, I want to stress, uh, in order to be uh, pleasing to the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was filled with the Spirit. And, but in Acts chapter 4... Peter, again, was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, at the, uh, his conversion, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts chapter 13, he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. So it's something we need to constantly be filled where we're, we're relying on the Spirit and not relying on the flesh. And that's the whole idea. Um, but notice the Holy Spirit led Jesus. Notice in verse 1, Again, it says, uh, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So not only did the Holy Spirit come upon him and fill him, but now, thirdly, the Holy Spirit led him. And for the believer, you know, I think of Psalm 23, verse 2, you know, by, um, what does it say? He, he leads us by besides still waters, right? And I, I just, I mean, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's going to lead you beside the still waters, and it's going to be beautiful, right? Awesome time. But not only does the Holy Spirit lead us by still waters, but he also leads us into the wilderness as well, into the dry, desolate, almost like Arizona, right, where they come up with, you know, here's a lollipop and you eat it and there's a scorpion in there <laughs> Whoa, what is this right it's just it's so dry out there that's just the fun stuff to do right but it's it, it, it gets dry and it's dusty right and and but he allows us to go through these trials he allows us to go through these things in our lives this desert place if you will just like he's doing with Jesus here right in the wilderness he leads him out there but why to refine us to really purify us and to lead us and to guide us into all truth. But so be encouraged, guys, in these last days. Um, you know, he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us, right? We're not left alone. He's leading us into these places that we're going through in our lives. And these, why am I going through this situation right now in my life? Well, nonetheless, I think the question is, know who's with you during this time of trial, right? We're praying, Lord, get me out of this. <laughs> I want out, Lord. I want back to where the place I was yesterday. But, but God says, no, I want you to go through it. Why don't you pray for endurance? Why don't you pray for perseverance? Why don't you pray to keep your eyes focused on me? As you get in the word, make it your goal daily to, to read the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Amen. Church, right? Amen. Um, but let's look at the devil here. That sounds weird, huh? Uh, but the devil brought on the temptation of Jesus. Right here in verse 2, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, right? So it was the devil who brought on this temptation. And look at verse 3. And the devil said to him, in fact, look at verse 5. Then the devil taking him, look at verse 6. And the devil said to him, look at verse 13. 
now when the devil had ended every temptation, so clearly Satan is definitely involved in temptations. He, according to Ezekiel, is a cherub of God. Uh, it was pride that got him kicked out of heaven alongside uh, one-third of the angels, right, that followed him. Um, and understand that all temptations, by the way, come through Satan and his minions. Uh, the Bible says in James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So being tempted is not a sin, but to follow through with the temptation is a sin, right? To take action on it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as, as common to man. But God is faithful, I love that part, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Guys, you and I are able to bear through it, right? We're able to bear out of it, if you will, and let it pass by God's grace, right? We, we rely on the Holy Spirit at this moment. We call on the Lord at this moment. And before we get into temptation, we understand uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, that says, for in that he himself also suffered, Jesus, right? Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So Jesus is our high priest, tempted for our own benefit, by the way, so we can relate to him. Um, by the way, go back to verse 2, Luke chapter 4, um, and notice before his temptation, notice what he's doing right here in verse 2. It says, you know, he's being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, uh, he was hungry. Notice he was fasting. This speaks of his humanity. And he was being obedient to the scriptures and fasting according to Leviticus. You guys could read that on your own. He forsook the physical and really embraced the spiritual. And that's the idea of fasting, right? Of, of abstaining from the things of the flesh, of even of food. And, and you know, take in the water, obviously, during that time. But, um, but to embrace the spiritual of, of, of your walk with the Lord, focus on the Lord. But notice in verse 3, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be bread. By the way, what is that with the stones over there, right? Uh, John the Baptist talked about the stones, right, to the, the, the religious leaders. And, and now, you know, Satan's like, this stone? They must have been some beautiful stones, you know, to be thrown out there. Uh, but it's interesting right here in verse 3. We, we see the temptation attacking the physical flesh of Jesus. It, notice the word if, by the way. It's in the first class condition, what we would call the first class condition. There's many conditions of the words, and, and the word if means since and indeed it is so. So Satan believed and understood that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed he was the Son of God. Therefore, Jesus had the power, he did have the power to convert that stone into bread because he was hungry. Uh, but Jesus answers back in verse 4. Notice he says, Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Notice Jesus will reply back to temptation with scripture. And I love that. He contrasts this physical bread with the spiritual bread, if you will, right? The word of God. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And understand, guys, eating is not bad. <laughs> Don't get that idea. Uh, the point here is, you know, not to feed the flesh, but rather to feed the spirit. And uh, Galatians 5, 16, the Bible says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, notice in verse 5, it says, Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of a uh, of time 
And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. And this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him immediately, right? He says to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Amen. But notice Jesus is being tempted here with material things, right? Uh, And notice Jesus didn't refute, by the way, that Satan was the owner of the things of this world, the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Um, If you guys remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they forfeited the title deed, if you will, to earth, to the things of this this world. Um, But Satan... He's the one who got it. But Satan, uh, in Ephesians 2, 2, calls him the prince of the power of the air. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. 1 John five nineteen says the world is under the control of the evil one. No wonder the, there's evil things that are happening in this world, right? It's obvious because Satan is the ruler of this world. And all the material things would be Jesus's for the sake of just giving worship. And really it's trickery if you think about it. He's still in authority. If you're worshiping him, you're submitting to an authority higher than you, right? So it's still Satan, so it's trickery. But Jesus immediately, he rebukes him and he prioritizes scripture immediately. Uh, He says, you know, obviously to worship the Lord, it was the first and foremost thing on Jesus's list. And it wasn't even a question right to to worship the Lord and we know that I'm not going to drill you guys on that but we're to place Jesus as number one right the word of God above everything else in this world that we own Um, let's finish with verse 9 it says then he brought him to Jerusalem set him on the uh, the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down from here for it is written he begins to quote scripture but not all of it he says he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now when the devil had ended every every temptation, he departed from him. But notice, until an opportune time. I hate that. Um, We... We, we see the positional aspect of Jesus here, right? Satan brought him up, I think, on Herod's temple, which at the time was the most highest uh, pinnacle peak, right, of, of, the, of the whole area that you can see. And Satan wanted he, to, him to tempt the Lord. And if Jesus would have done that, though, imagine, you guys remember, everybody's expecting the Messiah. Jesus could have said, okay, everybody, I'm your Messiah. Look at me. The Bible says I, I won't be able to even dash my feet. Look what I'm going to do. And he could jump easily right fall down and and not hit the ground because the angels would catch him and but do you see the prideful in in this and that right where Jesus would be so prideful if he did that if he begun his ministry revealing himself as Messiah by jumping off the temple and so Satan is really trying to uh, get him but Jesus didn't come as a conquering king but as a servant and pride will always keep you um fighting for a position right non-stop you're always going to be fighting and fighting we need to guard against that because Jesus uh, resists the proud right we know that from scripture but let's stand guys I know there's so much here and I want to keep going but I'm looking at the time and it's like you better start ending um, it's all no 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 <laughs> but let, let me end with this in first John chapter 2 it says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life it's not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever amen church Amen. Lord, thank you so much. And I agree, Lord, I I want you, Father, uh, to be ruler over my heart, over my life, Lord, and that your will would be done uh, in and through your church here, Father. And and so we all, as one, we agree, Lord, that you are 
Lord, you're amazing. <laughs> I don't know how to describe, but you're, you're, uh, you're perfect in every way, Lord. And I pray that you would lead us and direct us, Lord, as we go our way this week, that you would be um, in charge of our lives, Father, that we would run from sin, run from temptation, run into the arms of you, Father, in your word. And uh, Lord, that you would teach us your word, that we might be able to be equipped uh, in the times that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm your Messiah. Look at me. The Bible says I, I won't be able to even dash my feet. Look what I'm going to do. And he could jump easily, right? Fall down and, and not hit the ground because the angels would catch him. And, but do you see the prideful in, the, in this and that, right? Where Jesus would be so prideful if he did that. If he begun his ministry sh- revealing himself as Messiah by jumping off the temple. And so Satan is really trying to uh, get him, but Jesus didn't come as a conquering king, but as a servant. And pride will always keep you um, fighting for a position, right? Nonstop. You're always going to be fighting and fighting. We need to guard against that because Jesus uh, resists the proud, right? We know that from scripture. But let's stand, guys. I know there's so much here, and I want to keep going, but I'm looking at the time, and it's like, you better start ending. Um, it's all, no, no, no. <laughs> but let, let me end with this. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But... He who does the will of God abides forever. Amen, church? Amen. Lord, thank you so much. And I agree, Lord. I, I want you, Father, uh, to be ruler over my heart, over my life, Lord, and that your will would be done uh, in and through your church here, Father. And, and so we all, as one, we agree, Lord, that you are, there's, Lord, you're amazing. <laughs> I don't know how to describe, but you're, you're, uh, you're perfect in every way, Lord, and I pray that you would lead us and direct us, Lord, as we go our way this week, that you would be um, in charge of our lives, Father, that we would run from sin, run from temptation, run into the arms of you, Father, in your word, and uh, Lord, that you would teach us your word, that we might be able to be equipped uh, in the times that we live in, in Jesus' name, amen.